0: Welcome to Entire Pursuit Podcast where I believe we can dislodge doubt through engagement uncovering inherent value. I'm your host Jeremy Miller, a guide on our journey to help get a few things done convince the second best time to start is today. How do we impact others? Self-awareness can sometimes be confused with self-knowledge. With the second interview of this two-part conversation, provides further information on using the Trinity as a model for our lives as image bearers of God. We have the opportunity to grow in self-awareness by being in community. Now to episode four. We are back with Marsh Moyle. Welcome back, Marsh. Thank you. I've really appreciated your time and you spent with a us. Pleasure. We finished episode three talking about... Goodness and um we sort of circled it back around community. We ended that podcast and I asked Marsh after we stopped recording, what should we cover that we that we might have missed that some of the listeners might be interested in? And Marsh recommended we we go back a little bit further and talk about how Marsh, after maybe college, went to to tour England and it might have been your grandfather said, What's what's Marsh doing? and your mom might have said, well, he's going finding himself. So can you take us back?
1: Yeah, uh, you've, you've, you've really listened to a lot of those tapes, haven't you? <laughs> because I, I can't even remember some of the stuff you know about me. I grew up in Malta. And when I came back to England, it was very abrupt. The Maltese government kicked the British out after 100 and something years of, of empire. And um, we were given a couple of weeks to leave. And so, after ten years of being in this wonderful place, we we turned up in in Britain in the middle of winter, and it was a massive culture shock. And of course, those days you didn't think of reverse culture shock, which now we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, my entire world was taken away and changed in two weeks. Mm. Um, I was, um, I I I I did finish. Um, school and then I spent a year wandering around Britain literally trying to find out what had happened to me and where I was these are questions of I I mentioned last time of being belonging meaning significance because all of those things have been taken away from me and I um I wanted to know did I want to belong in Britain and I obviously I didn't because I left Um, And a part of it was just simply because it was so difficult. Um, Britain had changed over the years. How many years? I'd been gone for 10 years. And I'd only come back twice. So as far as I can remember. And um, so I was very unprepared and uh, very confused. And I had had encounters with the church. My family had been a church going, but not necessarily radically uh, committed family to to um, the faith um, but my mother was converted through an American who came over and my father who taught religion in school wanted to um, an interview with this evangelist and he actually was an insurance salesman from California um, but he, he, he was working as an evangelist and he and during the interview, which my mother did with him, uh, she, was, she became a Christian um, in a much more deep and personal way. Um, she'd been a God-fearer, um, but she'd also had her struggles in life, which, which had marked us um, as, as, as her children uh, to some degree. And, um, but her, radi- her conversion was very radical Uh, to evangelical Christianity, uh, which meant the Bible was very central. And of course, she and my father wanted us to be inculcated into that. And I was reading the Bible, and I was also reading the French existentialists. I was reading Sartre, Camus, and Simone de Beauvoir, and all these other people. And and then I was reading the the idealists and and, um, all the novels and they were describing how i was feeling in the world uh, describing very well very accurately and um the bible was describing my how i my aspirations and i came across the bible accidentally i mean my parents were reading it but i wasn't that interested uh but one day i did pick it up and started to read something in i think in um in Paul's letters, and I was surprised at how Paul talked about normal human things, relationships, and and, and aspirations, and so on. and And so that's the that was the tension I was in I, on the Bible was on one hand, and the existentialists on the other, and I couldn't put the two together. and um, And uh, it was whilst I was um, travelling that I came across the books of Francis Schaeffer, mm. uh, specifically the God Who Is There. And I'm sure I didn't understand all of it, but I understood enough to realize that you could think about these things seriously. Mm. You didn't have to have life in a religious box and then the other box. Uh, but the human life was what was important. And and I think one of the very, very important things to my mind has been um, that God didn't make us Christian. He made us human beings to follow the perfect human being. And and human beings come in many different shapes and sizes and giftings and and so on, and that we are free to be human. We must be human. We mustn't try to be Greek and get rid of, make a separation between the body and and the spirit. We are we are the breath of of God and the dust of the earth, and um, that's about as clear as the Bible is on what it means to be human. Um, and then there are. The things we do and the moral state that we're in, and I, um, of course, didn't know any of that at, the, at that time. I, I, um, I say I had experienced uh, Christianity, radical Christianity, from these people, uh, but when I, um, the, who, who led my parents to faith, but I, what I saw in the church was less helpful to me. And I was already very cynical of church and middle classness, and and I was I, I I have developed a couple of lectures on cynicism and romanticism as ways that we avoid reality, um, and that's looking back after it with in hindsight. But at the time, I was very cynical, and um, I believe that cynicism is a denial of the dignity of human beings. Whereas Romanticism is a denial of the depravity. And um, so as a cynical person, I could not see anything good. I was repressing the, the good the, the that was genuinely there in people. Yeah. And I was repressing a lot of feelings. And I can remember looking out over the Swiss Alps with a group of friends and all of them were just saying, "Oh, isn't this breathtaking?" And they were, "Oh, isn't this wonderful? Wonder of of the world." And I was saying, "Well, intellectually, I know that this is very pretty, but uh, very beautiful, but I don't feel anything mm-hmm. because my life was feeling less because I was it was too painful." And I would characterize my life in many ways as a series of awakenings, as God has allowed me to enter deeper into trust. Of him and other people, and and to put to rest. Talking about the Sabbath, to put to rest some of these deeper questions, uh, to enter more fully into life. But that has not been without its struggles. Mm-hmm. And our problem, my problem, as I as we were talking about, I drive around the United States um, and listen to the radio, and I listen to National Public Radio, and I listen to various Christian radio stations, and I think these Christian radio stations and I certainly don't want to impinge on anyone's motives, but I hear all the words. I think all these words are true, but there's something that isn't complete. And I don't know what it is, and I still don't know what it is. There's something missing. And some, some of the missing, I think, is simply how, how extraordinarily hard it can be to grow up and to be mature and to decide for truth and decide for right. And to live with ambiguity and doubt and fear and 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 to be um, sort of bushwhacked by your uh, confusion and your depression, which which I have over the years suffered from uh, from time to time quite considerably, and and um, to come to terms with the fact that this the ideal. Um, that you certainly see in the United States that people are trying to live out is actually um, it 's a bit of a tyranny because we are fallen human beings who are who are having to grow at a very very deep and profound level through our um, uh, through the grace of god we can 't do it on our own, but we are um growing step by step, and uh we were talking before about um Depression and me being a functional materialist, mm-hmm. and I, I, um, I have sat many times on the side of my bed in the morning, not feeling any, anything at all, and having to remember. What do I believe about the nature of reality? There is a God. This God is good. The beginning is personal and not impersonal. On and on and on until I until I can restate clearly in my own mind. Um, the truths that I've come to know uh, in the light. As as C.S. Lewis said, you know, the the prayer he prayed that we would believe in the dark, what we came to see is true in the light. And that's been very true for me in many parts of my life. And seeing um, that... For large parts of my life, or even for any given day, perhaps, I might function as a a functional materialist, as if God didn't exist. But what God is calling us to is a communal life and a life in communion with him, moment by moment, every moment of every day. So I am entering into that. But the propaganda of our age is massive, and we, we massively underestimate it. Yeah, your, your children learn even even in their, um, in their Christian schools and so on. without even knowing it, we are sucked into a, a framework of, of materialism and naturalism, which is very, very powerful and that, that fundamentally says life is an accident. Uh, you are here by chance, you've got one shot at it uh, and once it's done it's done. And um, if that's true, then eat, drink, and be merry and do it, do it quickly because 70 years is only sort of, um, you know, if you're 20 and you, you live to be 70, you've only got 600 months. So that's not very long. And uh, But I don't believe that. Um, I believe that, that time happens in the context of eternity. And I'm not in a hurry. I have the whole of God's um, time at my disposal and I and I don't think that begins when I die. it begins when I am reborn into reconnected into his life, which is now, and every day I practice being in god 's presence and I think I think that is awakening to the wonder of a a supernatural existence now thank you for that. We talked about wonder and
0: um, I remember some of your lectures talked about would spend. Nights on the beach and the, the stars would come mm-hmm. out. And then we talked about it is dark, but as the sun comes up, certain things are illuminated. That's right. And yeah. then more okay. things.
1: And and it's interesting that when the sun comes up in the early morning, you can look at it. Mm. But by the time it's at its full height, you can't. Uh, and, and And when it goes down again, you can look at it. And so it's doing things in their right sequence and not expecting to be able to see the sun when it's high. Um, and sometimes in the way people present their Christianity, it's a bit like people who've been in the dark and you want to put the full blaze of the sunlight on them. Or what, what happens when you do that is people cover their eyes. Hmm. Um, and you shouldn't be surprised if they, they turn away from you. If, you. if you like that, you should be more like the sun that's rising. That's the sun that you can look at and see. Um, I, th- I think that finding our, grounding our time in the eternity of God. And eternity is not just a long period of time. Eternity is a quality of life. God's, it is the quality of God's life that he invites us into. And uh, that's partly going back to my stuff, my interest in the law, is if I'm right in thinking that the law is an expression of God's character, then the it is an expression of what eternity looks like uh which god lives in all the time your will be done on earth as it is even now being done in the heavens and so god's invitation is an invitation to goodness and mm-hmm. to the good life what happened to me um in terms of looking over the the mountains and and not feeling anything but intellectually knowing that i was the mountains were beautiful was that about 15 years later, I was living in Austria and I walked down from the Wienerwald of Vienna Woods uh, to my home and I was walking through a park and I looked up, I saw a blue sky. I saw a red tree with red leaves, a tree with bright yellow leaves and then the green grass and it took my breath away. Ah. It went, <clears throat> and then I thought suddenly – you've just experienced beauty. Wow. For the first time, it was an awakening. And from that little crack, then then a huge um, sort of opening has, 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 has occurred over the years. Uh, and in that and in many other areas where my own life of feeling, because I was so cynical and so tight, has been a life of awakening to all sorts of feeling, some of which are very... Good, rich, and some which are very painful, but
0: nevertheless real and necessary, and what God wants you to to have feelings.
1: Uh, what what it means to be human? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I presume that's what God wants because that's you know that's how He makes us. We're supposed to be disappointed. We're supposed to be um, to have longings. We're supposed to have joys and be thankful and to, uh, be humble and and so on. No, thank you
0: for being so. Open with that. I know you talked about Tula was able to cry at
1: something that. She's she's more probably emotionally mature than I am. And and, uh, and, uh, in that sense, we grow together. And I think our marriages, since we're talking about wives and marriage, (laughs) um, are supposed to be a reflection of the Trinity. And the Trinity is an infinite intimacy. And so this marriage is where we get to practice that. So, my wife and I need to become ever more deeply um intimate in 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 and that is also a part of what it means to be human and I hope and think that's what's happening but it's 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 an effort because because you want to protect yourself you want to withdraw you want to um you don't want the pain and yet um the pain is part of part of the package. It's not the only part of the package, thankfully, but it is part of it.
0: No, thank you for taking us to that, that concept of tension. We were talking earlier before we started recording about living in Vienna, and then mm. you moved maybe directly from there to Slovakia. Yeah. What caused that change to say, I am going to leave
1: maybe the good life? By moving to Slovakia, it was just simply a lot less comfortable at that period of time Mm. it was 1992 we were living in vienna since 1975 i'd been living in vienna and traveling backwards and forwards across the iron Curtain. and in 1989 of course the whole thing fell down we decided um rather i decided and my wife um, willingly obeyed although not with a great deal of reservations she um, agreed to come uh, that we would move to Slovakia, which is part of the, the Slavic world, um, and uh, we we base ourselves from there because Vienna was only a stopping place. We were we sent we were called to the Slavic world, and we were setting up publishing houses everywhere from from uh, Saint Petersburg to Sofia in Bulgaria. Okay, so I was traveling everywhere, Vienna. Uh, Bratislava, which is the capital of Slovakia. It was Czechoslovakia when we moved in. It split mm. in the first year that we were there. Um, it was close to Vienna Airport, so I could still travel to all these other places. Um, but it was hard because it was it was a, a immediately post-communist society that didn't have the infrastructure. Um, and it took a long time to develop it. So the banks weren't really... Functioning and thing. people didn't need a bank account under communism. Mm-hmm. You didn't need accountants under communism because well, this five year plan told you what to do and you just had to do it. So the idea of having free, uh, all the accoutrements of f- the free market weren't there in some very, very basic ways. And they mm-hmm. had to, I mean, the big four accounting companies trained a generation of accountants. That kind of account. Profit and loss statement. Uh, you know, what was that? You didn't make profit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so, or you didn't want to say you did. Uh, well, that's a, that's a good you know, One of my friends said to me, you know, we all earn $100 a month, but we all spend 200 <laughs> So that's our work. <laughs> and I, I certainly was involved in business at the time, in the country. And and, and I can remember being with a, with a guy who was the director of the largest publishing printing house in, in Sofia. And after 10 minutes of talking to him about the price of world paper and all kinds of other stuff, he said, listen, we don't, haven't been pu- printing here as a company for 10 years. I run a private import. And this was under communism. Uh-huh. This was still under around the last year of communism, I was trying to see if we could get some books published because I saw that shifts were happening. And he said, we have, you know, we, I, I can get anything in the country or out of the country. I can bribe anyone you want. Um, each of the guys you see functioning on his machine is running it like a private business. Wow. So you just give him uh, 10% more paper than you than you need. And he will use that to publish it, do his own stuff okay. and sell that. And that's how you'll pay him. Wow. And, um, uh, and that was under communism. So – the the great irony was, loads of people were doing private business, and they just found a way to put a veneer over the over the over the um, the thing to keep it legal. So one of my friends said to me, he said, "This is not," and this was in Bulgaria. He said, "This is not a a revolution against communism; it's a revolution against corruption." Of mm. course, he didn't like communism either. He said. Why should they, these guys who claim to be communists, they're practically functioning like capitalists. Why should they have that, all that benefit and we just work for nothing? And so that we're throwing them out so we can all have, you know, if we're going to do it, we might as well all do it. And um, the corruption was unbelievably strong. And uh, the, the lies that people had to live with, Vaclav Havel said in his first speech as prime minister when he went from the, being... Being um, imprisoned to being the uh, to as be, yes, being presidents of Czechoslovakia, he said, "You didn't expect me to come here and say the same lies that you've been taught year after year by our by our presidents. Uh, we are in a mess, and we need to. We are in a moral mess, and we need to sort it out." And of course, he was right. And there was a lot of optimism in those first years, and it was quite an exciting time to be around. and uh, and as people, you know, what, what people also said under communism is you pretend to pay us and we pretend to work. Mm-hmm. So they, the productivity was extremely low. Yes. But people had time, time for relationships, time for good art, time for it was very private. Mm-hmm. And then um, under um, under the new regimes, under the new systems, they suddenly had to really work hard. And they were responsible for their lives. And it was on one hand great, it was another hand exhausting. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people around, and there still are, who would say, well, I'd rather go back to the old days. Because they forget that even though they didn't have to work, but they had to queue up for toilet paper, and they had to queue up for all kinds of other things. That just the distribution didn't function. And we do forget.
0: <laughs> I'll be remiss to not ask you about two... Sets of beliefs. We all have two sets of beliefs. Yes. One we act on. And it's... I don't know if I, how I can make this transition, but I did want to ask that question. Because I've heard Peter Rollins talk about a similar thing. Are you familiar with Peter Rollins? Um, name's only,
1: only recently. From Belfast. But it's something that Schaeffer said in one of his lectures. That, okay. Uh, and he was quoting a Dutch proverb. He said, every, that he said you have to treat this with care um, because it's not in an absolute truth. But that everyone has two sets of beliefs. That's what we say we believe and what we act on. And what we act on, and this is where you have to be careful, is what we truly believe. And um, if you think about it, uh, and 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 I've asked many people, as an example of this, I say, do you believe in the Trinity? I'll say to a classroom full of people, and they will say, yes, yes, I believe in the Trinity. I say, well, how many of you are functional Trinitarians? And they'll all say, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> you see, you know, we, in the left, you have communalism. In the right, you have individualism. Very often, that's how it pans out. Um, perhaps it's slightly different here in the States where everybody seems to be more individualistic. But Christians aren't called to be either of those. We're called to be Trinitarian, which means the unique person must always be in the context of the community. And neither the unique person nor the community must suffer. Neither must dominate the other. And in, in Eastern Europe, where I f- first started to see what a communal society looked like, where all decisions were made communally, uh, it's a very powerful thing. Um, I, we, my wife and I lived for a while with a group of Russian Germans, people who had been in Russia for many years and then were bought out by the German government um, under communism. We lived with them, and they came. Uh, to the bank, there were thirty-five families, and they bought. They got a mortgage, one mortgage mm-hmm. for thirty-five families. So, like in your little community here, they bought. The one architect designed one house, and they built thirty-five houses. Wow! So they bound themselves for twenty years for for for, for, for together to pay back this mortgage. And you think that that was a powerful statement, but they weren't used to difference. They weren't used to uniqueness. Mm-hmm. So they'd come from this place where they all had $100 a month. They never had any money and they shared everything. They came to the West. They, were, they still had that attitude, mm-hmm. but then they're confronted with the one guy can buy a Ford and one guy can buy a Mercedes. And, and one guy can get a job that's high paying. One guy can get a job that's low paying. And they didn't know how to sort out the difference. So they did the communal bit well, but they didn't do the individual bit well. We do the individual bit extraordinarily well, but we don't know how to live in community. And we have students who come to Brie again and again who say, oh, we just love the key idea of community. How can we do that? But it, it's much more than simply doing it. It's It's a deep, deep sense of givenness. But also preserving what is unique. So my you're an accountant. My my ideal is to say, well, what you need is a it's like being an artist in a room full of accountants, or an accountant in a room full of artists. You know, the artists want to paint outside the box and the (laughs) accountant everything has to be in the box, you know, the spreadsheet doesn't work. And yet both have to appreciate the other. Both have to respect the difference. And that's difficult. It's painful. It makes you feel insecure. It makes you nervous, and and yet that is how we work towards being intimate, being trusting. That's where trust is so important, Uh, and my goodness is so important to get back to the theme. (laughs) No,
0: that's good. So, why is there that tension that somebody would say if you told somebody you believe two things, you have two sets of beliefs? When I think of that, I think that's not right. I. I believe one thing I believe that I don't know what type of example you wanna use. I believe capitalism is right, but you're saying I actually believe another thing i know
1: well, I think you can say um capitalism is a very complex example <laughs> because mm-hmm. because um there are aspects of capitalism. That are absolutely essential for human life, and yeah. uh, the aspects of free markets that are you know, there have been free markets as mm. long as there have been markets, mm. people dealing and wheeling it with one another and exchanging. Um, uh, and yet we we are we are communal beings. It's not good that man should be alone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That without um, the ability to form good connections, we are lonely. And the reality in is now that in the last 50 years we have gone from being 4% alone, people living on their own, to being 33% on our own, hmm. all across Western Europe and the United States. Okay. So 33% of people, almost now the largest single group of, of people, um, the largest demographic is people living on their own. That's loneliness, which distorts our perception of ourselves. We need... To be, um, it's not good the man should be alone because he ends up with a distorted perception of who he is. Okay. Uh, And without the tools for maturing, because you mature in relationship to your wife when you and she work out your differences together, Mm -hmm. Uh, you grow up. And if you don't have that opportunity to grow up, you don't grow up. And we have, you know, what the, the sociologists would call, psychologists would call sort of Uh, 25 is the new 18. It's a very common, you can Google it if you like to see the sort of mass of of data there is on and how people are functioning in this new age, uh, where there is so much distraction to avoid the pain of confronting personal relational issues Mm. that we don't grow up. We just avoid it. Mm. And maturity is a theme that runs right through the New Testament. And to be fully human, You need to be mature. It's great to see a six-year-old kid playing around. But if the six-year-old kid is still doing that when he's 26, you have a a serious problem. Mm -hmm. I believe
0: this chair is going to hold me. Are you saying I also believe it's not going to hold me?
1: No, it's not a question of contradiction. It's a question of um, saying I believe that there is a God in the universe, uh, but also saying acting like a functional materialist. Okay. So I, I I say one thing, but I live in another way. And the way you live is what you really, truly believe. Uh, uh, and that's where it becomes it's important not to be absolute because I'm inconsistent. All human beings are inconsistent. Okay. And we are growing and we are learning. So we are working it out. But on a deeper level, we Westerners tend to think that what we rationalize is what we believe. And that is simply not true. Uh, the more you get to know any 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 person, you know that, that we are thoroughly inconsistent. And what we we want to say, uh, we, we we want to say that I believe this, I believe in God, or I don't believe in God it doesn't make any difference. Um, the guy who says I don't believe in God um, will say with the next breath um, there are no atheists in the foxholes in the battle, you know, that sort of thing mm-hmm. and I and I don't say that to say that everyone secretly believes in God um, I don't personally believe in atheists, I, I believe that everybody has some kind of higher something whether it's a personal uh, God or not um, there is always a framework in which we frame ourselves and there's usually we, we we rarely are the highest power in that in that structure. All right. I love it that you brought
0: it back to community. I'm hoping to create a community around this podcast mm-hmm. where we can interact on the 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 website entirepursuit.com and providing comments and questions back yeah. um, on each each episode of the podcast.
1: So thank but you. But I hope your up. community at some stage meets face to face. It has, to, it has to wrestle with actual human interaction uh, where you have to look in each other's eyes and be afraid uh, of how you're... Because because that's what we're in danger of losing. Um, and that's why
0: I appreciate you coming over tonight to, to interview instead of us doing it over the um, phone. And if we do get the opportunity to do it over the phone, I would love to do it in the future because you will be um, thousands of miles away. But was there anything else that...
1: I would, I would, um, there's two, two things that are on my mind having looked at, at, um, and I've been many, many times to the United States. The, the first is, um, the assumption about knowledge that the true knowledge is true knowledge about people is relational and that, uh, it's not just scientific. I think I may mentioned that in the first, the first podcast that the, There's a general assumption that um, scientific knowledge is the only valid knowledge, but the knowledge of your girlfriend you get to know by revelation, as she trusts you enough to reveal herself to you or you to her. And the depth of that revelation is a reflection of the depth of your trust. That's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, in our churches, we don't always get it right. But that doesn't mean to say that the concept behind it is necessarily wrong. That the communal life uh, is often um, squashed by modernity, by systems and programs, and, and it's not terribly relational. Uh, and we need to recover in our churches the truly relational components and let some of the programs and the systems go. What does that look like for your life at this stage in your life? Uh, it means spending time with people. My In my church, uh, my, my group... Of people in England, we meet once a month um, on a Wednesday night for dinner with the families, um, and then we spend the evening together. Uh, we're often in each other's um, families, in each other's lives. We share each other's pains, and uh, we don't have that many programs, hmm. you know, because the relational component uh, and the component of ever deepening trust. Is part of what it means to reflect the image of God, because God is three as well as one, and we have to be three and one.
0: Oh, thank you for that. Um, to to wrap up, we were joking. Marsh and I were joking earlier about is um, does Marsh feel like a Jedi? And Greg Lamond is an American cyclist that won the Tour de France, and he would say that cycling doesn't get easier. So even though you get fitter. You just get faster. Do you see yourself in that mode at all? You talked about how you can now see things more clearly now. I can name things, things
1: more clearly. Quicker. Uh, quicker. Uh, and that's helpful. The third commandment says don't take the name in vain. So don't empty the name of its meaning. Don't hollow it out. And this is a generation that has lots of hollowness in its name, especially in the church. Uh, the name of God being the first name, and then every other name that comes from it. So it's about language, and to have the the what maturity and what length of days should do to you is it should give you more language to be able to describe your reality more fully, and the more fully you can do that, the easier it is to to um, uh, start to deal with the situations. You know, God created a chaos. Have you ever thought of that? Why in the world did God create? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless. This tohu uh, bohu, this difficult word to translate, but there's a kind of an element of chaos. Why in the world did God create a chaos? And how did he organize it? So he brings order out of the chaos by naming the realities. And that's what we do. You're, you're in a confusion, you sit with a friend. You say, well, the bits that are in this. Hmm. In that way, you image God. And God made a flexible universe so that as we as we conform to his norms, things go well. But as we don't, the chaos returns. Hmm. So we shouldn't expect that the the, the the static and the status quo is a given. We have to work to maintain it. But part of
0: that is having the right language. God asked us to ask Adam to, to name the animals. That's right. And so we asked for that sort of collaboration and um continues to
1: expect the same out of us. Yeah, have dominion. You exercise dominion in your in your use of language. Language is to one level about power. Mm. And the one who describes, has the who names things, it has the power over them. And it's a very interesting line because it says, and whatever Adam called it, that is what it would be. Mm. It may not have been what it was. <laughs> but it was what it was to Adam and it was it is what it is to us. So if I'm using the, the wrong language to describe something, if I don't have the right attributes in place, then if I don't have the right assumptions uh, and they're not tested, uh, uh, my life will go up the garden path. I need mm-hmm. to identify my assumptions and say, are these true to reality? Uh it's not all about social construction. There is a lot of social construction, but it's not all about social construction. There are realities to which we must conform as well. And that's the tension we live in. We don't always know where those lines are. Mm. And that's why it's important to be in community so that we can actually work together to to figure it out. Yeah.
0: So thank you for ending on name. I want the entire pursuit name to to carry some honor. I I want people to to trust it. Um and to maybe further on that a little bit, I know your dad told you that when you go out on a weekend, you can do anything with your first name. Mm-hmm. But remember that your second, second name <laughs> is also <laughs> yeah, part of you. Yeah, yeah. So taking God's name in vain isn't necessarily saying when you stub your toe, oh, my God, it's it's something more. Can you explain something. a little bit more on?
1: Well, it's 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 very much. um you know, that the man who is who's uh, just smashed his finger with his hammer and uses God's name emptily has is not thinking particularly about God. Is expressing his pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the Christian who starts to use religious language but doesn't really know what it means is using religious language. Is using the name in vain, mm. probably in a much more serious way. Right. Uh, so we need to know what we mean, and we need to mean what we say, and and that means for each word, you know, a, a name is is the sum of the attributes. So mm-hmm. Marshmoyle is the sum of the attributes and the history of
0: Marshmoyle. Right. It's not brother, um, husband. It's
1: it's summarized. It's summarized, one level, it's summarized
0: but- in just your name. People don't need to say, hey, he's a ex-missionary. It's. Well,
1: all of those things, that's right. You don't have to continue to (laughs) read the entire thing every time. It's just the short form of all of those (laughs) things. And the more you get to know me, the more full that that becomes. And for each of us, that's true. That's what being known means. Mm. I know all of this, and now I know this much more, and now I know (laughs) that much more. And therefore, life gets very rich and very full because we know more and more about each other. And we trust in that. Um, we, We trust... If we are trustworthy, and um, we, we over time that becomes clear too. <laughs> if we what we say, we carry out.
0: Yes, with our if, actions. if there's an alignment between our, between our
1: words and our deeds. Yep,
0: and that's what I try to do with entire pursuit. Um, it is early in on the podcast, and I've told Marsh I tried to tell our listeners here's typically what we're going to talk about, and I am going to try to stay stay true to that. One week we're not going to talk about the. The latest cricket match, and next week we'll talk about politics. We'll try mm-hmm. to keep it hopefully on track on how do we create beautiful things with our lives by maybe knocking off some of our bucket list items. Or, um, like, again, I'm very talking very individualistic, mm-hmm. but I think we'll grow and work in that tension and accept that tension. And, yeah. um, I do appreciate your time tonight to, sure, yeah. to share. But I hope everybody
1: enjoyed it. Thank
0: you, Marsh. Very well, thank you. And if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn or tweet me at J. Owen Miller. Music from this episode is from Luke Pygat. You can find Luke on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Entire Pursuit, where I believe we can dislodge doubt through engagement, uncovering inherent values.